What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of B-Shafe Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer, along with you here on Monday, June 14th, and tonight we're breaking down a Cardinals win as it was Adam Wainwright, the stopper on the hill once again for St. Louis as the Cardinals took down the Miami Marlins 4-2 at Bush Stadium. Been a couple of days since we've spoken with one another and wanted to address that first. You may have seen me tweet about this a couple nights ago, but I'm having some real issues with Spectrum at my house. The internet hasn't been working for several days, so I'm going to make the attempt to do this podcast tonight and then use the hotspot to upload it. I hope that works, but if not, you'll know because you won't be able to listen to this until later Tuesday morning. I'll go somewhere else and try to borrow some Wi-Fi from somebody I will be doing a separate podcast tomorrow, assuming all goes well with the internet, where I find my my respite video podcast as part of the BBWAA writers podcast. They've been doing a video series of podcasts to help support the local chapter, the St. Louis chapter of the BBWAA goes toward our dinner that we're planning to put on. In January, if you're familiar with the BBWAA dinner, it's every January, usually always the same weekend as winter warm-up, which of course didn't take place last year and neither did the dinner due to COVID. And so, or I should say earlier this year, 2021, didn't have it. Winter warm-up was modified as well, but we're hoping that for 2022, everything's going to be a go. And so, One of the ways they're doing some fundraising is these podcasts, which you can subscribe to. You'll see me tweet it out when it happens, but I'll have the Commish Rick Hummel with me on that podcast tomorrow, which should be out later this week. Tom Ackerman of KMOX plays the host, and I believe we'll have another special guest contributor from an Atlanta Braves perspective as the Cardinals play the Braves coming up this weekend for a four-game series down in Atlanta after they finish up with the Marlins. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm hoping my internet doesn't doesn't screw me over. But uh, assuming I'm able to participate, that'll be a lot of fun. Get to, to have some insight from Kamish and others on that podcast. So looking forward to that. But for right now, it's breaking down a Cardinals win. And then we're going to get into a little bit of conversation on Adam Wainwright, who was the Cardinals starter once again Monday night as... They've won his last two outings, and otherwise it's been pretty desolate for the Cardinals the last couple of weeks because they haven't won any other game that Adam Wainwright hasn't been starting. They're two in a row for him, though, and they'll they'll take the win any way they could get it on Monday. But we're going to talk also a little bit about Adam Wainwright, the Sports Illustrated article that featured sort of a tell-all situation from Bubba Harkins, who was the former clubhouse attendant for the Los Angeles Angels who had supplied players with some sticky substance. You recall he got exposed for that and ultimately fired and he kind of revealed a lot of information, text message exchanges, etc. today in the article that came out at Sports Illustrated and Wainwright, his text messages were involved in this article. He was featured prominently within and they they had his Venmo information to show that he had made a purchase from this guy in text messages 
from Wainwright, and so he addressed that when asked about it tonight after the game, and so I wanted to get into that a little bit as well. But let's talk first about the actual ball game. The Cardinals finally have one kind of go exactly the way that you draw it up with you get a good start from Wainwright, first and foremost. He goes six innings, gives up just two runs, had a little hiccup in the third inning, but again, it was one of those innings where he didn't necessarily give up a ton of hard contact. They get the bases loaded, and he's at at one point a pitch away from getting out of it. Ultimately, just wasn't able to do it. The base hit that squeaks through the middle infield allows a couple of runs to score, and so that put the Marlins on top at the time. But other than that, Wainwright was pretty solid. wasn't as efficient necessarily as he'd like to be. 105 pitches to get through six innings, but gave the Cardinals the, just the kind of start that they needed. And of course, since we didn't get to talk about the latter couple of games from the Cubs series. Carlos Martinez was really good Sunday night. Gave the Cardinals the kind of start they needed in that game as well. But in that instance, it was the offense that that did not come through for the team and get Carlos that win that the Cardinals so desperately needed. You would have loved to have been able to beat the Cubs at least one out of three. That's what I said Friday night after the Cardinals lost game one. I said, if you just get out of here, you don't have to win the series at this point. We, you know, we understood what the... Cardinals were up against at that point in time with John Gann and Martinez going Saturday, Sunday, not having necessarily a lot of confidence in either of those guys, and then knowing the bullpen had been struggling, the offense pretty hit or miss. And so if you could have just won one of those games, Carlos did everything on Sunday night to be able to make that happen. Didn't give up a single earned run, a couple unearned runs in seven innings, but the Cardinals didn't score. And so you, you're you left with a sweep at the hands of the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley, you leave, you come to Bush. You had a feeling, though, coming to Bush Stadium, the Cardinals might fare a little better against the Marlins. It was the first day of full capacity at Bush, and yet it was not the largest crowd of the season. The Cardinals drew about 24,000. I believe the number was 24,281 that was announced for the attendance. Upper deck, at least in the outfield, you know, I'm sitting in the press box behind home plate, so I'm looking out toward fair territory, virtually empty in the upper deck tonight as far as the outfield, the fair territory seats were concerned. Don't know exactly what it looked like around the the infield bowl since I was sitting basically beneath it, right in the midst of it. But it was a sparse crowd relative to what you'd hope to see in full capacity. And people on Twitter certainly had some conversations about, about that fact and People that were surprised about it. I really wasn't surprised about it. I guess, if anything, I was surprised that the capacity wasn't, it didn't look full enough for the Cardinals to wink, wink, announce more than at least like 30,000. Only announcing 24,000 basically says, yeah, there's there's no reason to fudge the numbers too much because it, it is what it is. When you're half full, you're half full. And the Cardinals, Bush Stadium, it was half full today. Granted, you're playing the Marlins. It's a Monday. It was hot as hell out there, and the Cardinals have been bad. Like, we know the Cardinals have been struggling, and so I I baked that into my expectations. Even It wasn't opening day 2.0. It's not like the Cubs had on Friday, but that's a different set of circumstances, having a rivalry game, Cardinals-Cubs, on a weekend at Wrigley as opposed to a Monday against the Marlins. It just wasn't the same thing. 
Bush Stadium's going to bounce back. They're going to have the big crowds. It's just not going to be yet because, you know, it doesn't set up that way. The Marlins this week, and then you're going to have a road series against the Braves, and you'll you'll return eventually to Bush. But by then, you know, maybe some of the luster will have worn off. I just I just think it was timing more so than anything that has caused the the little attendance dip. Yes, it was like the first time in a long time that they announced such a low number with full capacity. But there's also still a pandemic going on. While a lot of us have come around and, and are willing to basically go back to life as normal, I understand there are a lot of folks out there who are not there yet, and that's you know it takes everybody's going to be doing that on their own timeline and based on their level of comfort. So it, it wasn't surprising to me at all that the attendance was lower. But that is somewhat a commentary on the the performance of the team right now. And the team hasn't been as good, and so naturally you don't have folks wanting to go out and spend their hard-earned money. Yeah, you could get tickets for less than 10 bucks tonight. I checked StubHub just before the game, and they were about 9 bucks, including fees. And so it, it wouldn't have been hard if you really wanted to. And they've got the ballpark pass now back in action. I think it's like 35 bucks a month to get into every game is basically what that guarantees you. Standing room ticket, I think, at minimum. But, of course, when it's not a sellout, you can find a seat and and you're good to go with the restrictions lifted. But, you know, when it when it comes to parking and paying for food at the game, the hot dogs in the press box were a little behind schedule today, and I basically planned on eating one just as soon as I could. And I got impatient and went and found a Philly cheesesteak sandwich for 10 bucks that I bought from the concourse. It was really good. But I'm just really cheap, so I didn't want to have to buy food if I was getting free hot dogs at the press box. But nevertheless, that's just an illustration. It costs more than just the 10 bucks to get into the game because the beers are 9 bucks or thirteen fifty if you're going to get the big can. I was kind of checking out the concourse tonight since I was looking for food, and I got curious what the beer prices were and things like that. They do have the cool happy hour deal for the, the Bush and Budweiser beer, I think, was included in that tonight upper deck in the uh, right field just beyond the right field area and I know it used to be up at the Budweiser Terrace but apparently they also had a a vendor down on the concourse level where there was a huge line like approaching first pitch and I was reading the sign closely and it said it cuts off at first pitch and so I wonder what happens to all the people in that line if they have to buy the more expensive beer or what they got to do but five dollars for a beer at the ballpark before first pitch anyway not a bad deal if you head out to the right field area on the concourse there in like the 300s 400s section it's as high as you can go up in the stadium is where they do that but not bad I like that they've that they've instituted that for the last couple years at Bush but anyway it's just understandably difficult to get people to want to spend you know you're committing to probably over a hundred bucks for a couple people when a family of four you can forget about it because you're going to get the dip and dots and you're going to buy a hat and you're going to you know you're going to do the whole 9 yards so it's definitely bring the family out it's even even when the the tickets are cheap it's still a commitment financially and sometimes when when the team's not playing well you I can understand fans just saying you know what rather than do this right now I'm going to wait until things turn around and you know maybe maybe it looks a little bit different in the months ahead I'll be more willing to go but for right now Understandably, on a Monday, people were a little less than eager to get to get back and, and fill Bush to capacity. 
But the, the the bright side was for the Cardinals, you did have Adam Wainwright starting. So if if I'm a fan, I'm looking to get to as many of his starts as I can, especially right now when he's really the only guy giving them a chance to win outside of that Carlos outing on Sunday. And his last two outings before Sunday were, were pretty rough too. So getting to go to a Wayno start for 6 bucks or $9 after fees on StubHub, not too bad if you were able to, to find your way into the ballpark tonight. But at the same time, I understand why a lot of folks did not. But despite the lack of a full house tonight, I did I did get the feeling the Cardinals were going to play better. Behind Wainwright once again, you're facing the Marlins. A starter in Braxton Garrett that, no, again, no offense, but when, when, when you're facing guys that are not the big household names, I know Cardinals fans would say, well, sometimes they struggle against those no-name guys, and, you know, that, that can be a death knell, but... I thought you got to get to this guy early. They did a little bit, get, getting a couple of runs off of him in four and a third. Seven hits, walked one, struck out three. Cardinals probably could have done a little more in the early innings, but even so, even when they go down two to one in the third, of course, they scored their first run in the bottom of the second inning. It was a nice piece of hitting by Edmundo Sosa to get that run home. And Edmundo Sosa getting the start tonight at second base which was interesting because he played such good shortstop when Paul DeYoung was out. I think Edmundo Sosa may honestly be the superior defensive shortstop, but DeYoung's got a track record and wasn't surprising remotely to me that they installed DeYoung right back into the everyday shortstop role. But good to see Sosa getting an opportunity tonight against a left-handed starter. I think made it easier to sit Matt Carpenter. A little bit of platoon action from that perspective, but... Sosa gets a nice piece of hitting into right field to score that first run for the Cardinals. They weren't able to pick anything up after that in the second inning. But you did just feel like they were going to find a way to come back and, and get this game in the W column for St. Louis. In the fifth inning, they score the second run to tie it. And so Wainwright leaves in a tie game. The run in the fifth is a Paul Goldschmidt single where they got the, the lead runner on third base and Tommy Edmond with one out. They said, got to get this guy home one way or another. And it was Goldsmith that ends up doing it with a nice single through the left side of the drawn-in infield. Arnato then grounds into a double play. He had a little bit of a rough go of things tonight with that ball in play that didn't fare well for him and then had a pop-up later on where he slammed the bat pretty hard, was not happy with himself. 0 for 4 tonight. Five left on base for Arenado. But they get the game tied. Wainwright exits. And then uh, I talk about the blueprint and the, the fact that the game really did go exactly how you draw it up if you're the Cardinals and Mike Schilt. Sure, you'd score in every inning. Mike Schilt said before the game, Kamish asked him, ideally, how many innings in a game are you going to score in if you're going to win a game? And though Mike Schilt said he'd like to score in every inning, which is kind of going back to the optimistic point of view that he brings to the table, he wants him to score in every inning. He wants him to win every game. He always thinks that the, the 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 sun is going to shine brighter just around the corner for this team. I know fans get a little bit fed up, honestly, with it sometimes because they want to hear some anger. They want to hear some frustration voice because it would match their own frustration. It's just not the kind of guy Mike Schilt is. And I, I to me, that does not mean that he is not fit for this job. I... I Again, if I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times. The Cardinals are not looking at Mike Schilt's job status 
even with the struggles of this team right now, that's just not on the table. I just and I, I don't think it's a, an apt comparison to say, well, Matheny, you know, the the team looked like they quit under Matheny, they had issues. This is not the same situation, and I do think the Cardinals can salvage this. I do think front office needs to make some moves if they're going to be able to, to win at the rate that it will be necessary to compete in this division. And John Moselak, the, the onus is going to be on him, and it already is, to make those moves, and we haven't seen much yet. And sure, it'll be easy. And again, coming into the series, I said they're probably going to win two out of three. I forget who I replied to on Twitter, but I think I even said it on there. Where, yeah, my expectation is they'll win two out of three. Doesn't mean it's fixed. Now they've just got to split the next two to be able to make good on that prediction. Doesn't mean everything is fixed automatically. Uh, you will probably be getting KK back on Tuesday, barring something unforeseen. He has been announced as the starter, and so kind of hearkening back to last week when I said Matthew Libertor should be in this series this week against the Marlins would be a sensible time to get him his debut against a lesser team at home, bigger crowd potentially on hand, but I didn't necessarily anticipate KK would be back from the back issue as quickly as he's going to be through a bullpen over the weekend. It went well, and so all systems appear to be a go for him on Tuesday, which means the Cardinals don't need that fifth starter that we thought they might need, and so you don't have to go to Libertor or a bullpen game or whatever the case might be. I I still think you should consider Libertor quite soon if the the very next time there's a hiccup in the rotation, uh, I wouldn't be I would not be hesitating very much to go ahead and go to him. But if KK can bring some stabilization to the rotation, I don't know how much of a guarantee there is of that because with the back issues that he's had, who's to say it won't crop up on him again hopefully it doesn't but since it is a recurring issue now that's happened to him twice this season first back in spring when he missed the beginning of the the regular season because of it on the IL and then once again right here if that's something that just periodically is going to get to him you've got to be ready with options behind him so ideally though the Cardinals come away with a, a series win here like I said, doesn't mean that the front office can say, well, we won a series you know, against a bad team. That's kind of been the story for the Cardinals, too, that is uncomfortable to talk about if they're only beating up on bad teams. Yes, you're supposed to beat the bad teams. You, you, you know, you're scheduled against who you're scheduled against. You play who you play. Try to win them all. But eventually, you do have to beat some better teams if you're, if you're going to want the record to end up above 500 by far enough to say you are a contender in the division. I do think they're going to need more moves in order to be that for the long haul. But for right now, yes, it would be great to just get the win over the Marlins. They do it on Monday, looking to get the series when they, they bring KK to the mound on Tuesday. But as I was saying about Mike Schilt before I distracted myself, when he was asked about how many innings should you score, he said three. If you score in three different innings in a game, that should give you a decent chance. And I've talked about this on the podcast too. You want to score in multiple innings. You always want to get a crooked number up there as well, but you can't expect, you know, when the Cardinals lost the 8-7 to game and they scored seven runs in that one inning, that's great. Seven runs is a lot, but you also want to, just as a general principle, be scoring in multiple innings because that indicates that your offense isn't all or nothing. It's a little more balanced. It's capable of attacking an opposing pitching staff each time that you come up to the plate and each time that you work your way through the batting order. It's just a more ideal situation to be in. Tonight, the Cardinals did that. They scored in three different innings. It was 2-2 two to two after 6. 2-2 two to two after 5, really. But after 6, when Wainwright departed. So what do you get? The blueprint. You get the timely hitting down the stretch. And you get the bullpen 
functioning exactly as you'd hoped it would with Cabrera, Gallegos, Reyes. That's your A team. We've talked about it all season. Zero walks between the three of them in those three innings tonight. That's huge. Three Ks, zero walks, just one hit allowed for the three of them combined in those three innings. And you see it work to perfection. It ends up being Gallegos that's credited with the win because the Cardinals' offense strikes after his eighth inning in the top of the eighth. It was the bottom half. Tyler O'Neill with a huge double drives in a run. Dylan Carlson, he made sure to step on home plate this time. A couple of weird plays that happened early in this game. First, it was the Marlins failing to score on on a double by Max Sierra. Great relay by Edmundo Sosa getting it into home plate where Yachty was, but Yachty didn't didn't field the ball, kind of got short hopped, drops it, but he had his foot blocking home plate, so Duvall couldn't get his get himself in there, didn't touch the plate. Adam Wainwright backing up the plate, notices it, starts shouting to Yachty to make the tag, and they beat him back to the plate just barely, called out on the field, and it remained that after a challenge. Replay re- review, I don't know how you overturn it. Similar situation just shortly thereafter with the Cardinals on offense. Dylan Carlson not sliding into home plate. I don't know why he didn't slide. If you slide, there's just almost no way to mess that up. But I think he was coming in a little awkward. I'm not sure if Yachty was giving him the slide signal as the on-deck batter. That's kind of your job to indicate to the runner. He's looking right at you what he needs to be doing. He goes in straight up and basically misses the plate. Uh, Mike Schilt disagreed with that, by the way. And I had other people on Twitter disagree with me saying that he missed the plate. I don't think he I don't think he got the plate. Even after after watching it, after hearing Mike Schultz say that he did, it was kind of a funny deal where the question that was asked, he said, Well, the premise you've got it sixty seven percent correct. The only thing that you you missed is that Dylan did touch the plate, even though they said he didn't. I, I looked at the replay. I think you could make an argument for his toes scraping over the plate. I also think I, I saw it kind of be in the air a little bit and then come back down. And so there's just no way they were going to overturn the call that was made on the field of the fact that he missed the plate. Uh, but again, if you slide in the situation, I I don't think it ends up being a concern. Dylan doesn't slide there in the eighth inning either, but didn't need to because there was no play at home play. He scores the third run for the Cardinals, and then it was Paul DeYoung with the bases loaded after they walk Yachty. It couldn't have been a better bunt, but it wasn't a bunt. It was a, a swing, a cue ball, 34 miles per hour off the bat down the first baseline. Worked perfectly as a safety squeeze to get the Cardinals some insurance. Alex Reyes, of course, though, would not need it as he doesn't give up a base runner in the ninth. Really good to see him pitching with a lead. Only happened like once previously in the month of June, but he converts for his 17th save of the season. And the Cardinals fortunately get a pretty normal-looking game as they beat Miami 4-2. to Improved to 33-33 and on the season. That's right, they had dropped below 500. They have dropped into fourth place in the division. The Reds, with another win tonight, remain above the Cardinals as they beat the Brewers, which you'll, you kind of will take that because the Brewers, at 10 games above 500, you're the Cardinals, you're five games behind them still. you got some work to do if you're going to catch up to them. And the Cubs in the same position, losing tonight to the Mets. So five games back of both those teams, Cardinals, gaining a game on both the division leaders. So you like to see that, but the Reds, that means that are also going to be ahead of you at least for a little while. Right now, a game up on St. Louis. Let's talk about it, though, now that we've broken down the game. A little bit of Adam Wainwright. I'm just going to play for you his clip 
where he discusses and basically says, I've got nothing to hide. Yeah, I, you know, I had interaction with this guy. I, I bought some of the substance from him back in 2019. You'll hear him talk about used it for six or seven games. I'm just going to play his first couple of answers and then explain a little bit, though, how what he was doing in 2019, pretty different from what we've seen become a rampant problem across baseball over the last, you know, six months to a year, just in the course of the 2021 season. It's obviously been an issue, but 2020 is when it took on a little bit of a life of its own as well. So we'll get into all of that after you hear from Adam Wainwright. You'll hear the commission ask him the question, broach the subject, and then Waino has his answer after being featured in the SI article with a couple, you know, some other big names. Garrett Cole had some text messages in this article as well, but... After the impassioned speech and the rant, you could call it, that Mike Schilt gave a couple of weeks ago after the Joe West issue with Giovanni Gallegos, the fact that a Cardinal has since been named by name and there's some proof showing that he was involved at one point in time, definitely keep an eye on that situation. You want to know what there is to be said about it? Well, Adam Wainwright had some things to say this evening, and here it is after the question from Kamish to kick things off. Did you get any rollback today from that Sports Illustrated article? And, and do you have any comment on the accuracy of, of said article? I haven't got any blowback yet, but maybe that's because I was pitching. Um, I got nothing to hide, Commission. I mean, I mean, you know, the what Bubba said is true. I I, I tried it in 2019. Um, honestly, it didn't work for me. You know, I mean, you can check the order. I only had one order with that guy. Um, and, uh, you know, I gave it away very soon afterwards. So uh, it's something that you have to apply and, and go to every pitch. You'll never see me go to my arms or my or my glove and touch that. I don't like doing any of that stuff. You know, I tried it. I didn't like it. I got rid of it, you know, and uh, haven't pitched with it in years. So um, I got nothing to hide. You know, if that gets me in trouble because I did it years ago, then so be it. But I pitched without it for however many years that is until 2019 and I pitched without it however many years since 2019 without it. So, uh, I got nothing to hide. You can check my glove. You can check my hat. You can watch me like a Hawk all game long. You'll never see me, uh, with any of that stuff on me at ever. So, um, I got nothing to hide. You know, I feel good about that. I, I, the truth, the truth shall set me free. We'll see. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it will, or maybe it won't, but I, I have nothing, um, I have nothing more to add because there's, there is nothing more to add. How many times did you use it in a game, if at all? I probably used it um, for six or seven games. But the problem with it is, you know, if you put it on, on it, which I never put it on my glove anywhere, if you put it on your hand, by the time you get done with your warm-up pitches, it's gone. If you don't reapply, every, that's why you see these guys go into their glove every pitch. And, uh, you know, I don't like doing that, and I never like doing it. And it – Honestly, I've pitched for so long without it. Uh, it changes your release point, changes where you got to release stuff. It changes where, um, you know, how you do a lot of things. And, uh, you know, that changed the way I, I pitched, and I didn't like it. So I ditched it. So you heard plenty from Adam Wainwright there basically saying he tried it, didn't like it, and didn't stick with it. In the article, it listed his Venmo information, and it showed that he paid for what he titled Kale salad and beans, I believe for 300 bucks, which was apparently more than 
the other guys were paying for the goods, so Wayno was at least a good tipper. That's nice to see, right? Uh, look, it, it's it's hard to get too worked up about all of this, especially because it happened a couple of years ago during a time where Adam Wainwright mentioned, like, for one, this guy that was cooking up this concoction, it really wasn't nearly as high-tech as certainly I think Major League Baseball would like to make it out to be because they're basically throwing this guy under the bus is the way it was portrayed in the article. And, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. They've refused to really go after anybody individually prior to this year. Now they're coming up with the protocols for what it's going to look like, 10-day suspension, evidently with pay, according to Jeff Passan I saw tonight, and they're going to come out with all that information in the coming days, I would think, and we'll get a, a chance to to know officially what MLB plans to do about all this. But with, with the basically sunscreen and rosin and pine tar, Wainwright said there might have been a couple of other elements to the mixture, but it wasn't anything like the spider tack and the the team hired chemists that are on staff for some some teams at this point working to basically in a laboratory figure out the best concoction to increase the RPMs, to increase the spin rate. Wainwright said it wasn't really anything like that, and I couldn't really use it because I didn't want to have to keep reapplying. So while I think that it's interesting and and there's, you know, an angle that it just kind of goes to show you, lots of guys across baseball were using different substances. I think in Wainwright's case, basically he what he said ends up being what it is. I would be surprised to learn that he wasn't completely forthright with the information that he gave on Monday night because, like he said, he feels like he's got nothing to hide. Are there other Cardinals, potentially, that have used substances, you know, at the time? Because Wainwright said he gave it away, so I imagine he gave it to probably some teammates. But it's a couple of years ago, you know, the Gallegos thing comes to mind. Was he doing anything outside the bounds? potentially, but I, I just, I don't really think that was probably part of it. The, the, the spot on his hat, we talked about it at length on the podcast previously looked like kind of the dirt sunscreen rosin mix that you see on a lot of guys hats. And it wasn't like he was trying to conceal anything. A lot of times I think with the spider tack and the different goop that guys have, it's in their glove because they, and you'll see them go to their glove frequently. Evidently Austin Gomber tonight, was told by an umpire not to use the rosin bag on his arm, and that makes a lot of sense because you can understand guys are sweaty, they've got sunscreen on the arm. If you put the rosin on there, then the next time they go to their forearm on their opposite hand from their pitching hand, you're able to, to get a little bit of that substance on you. Maybe it helps you improve the grip, a little bit more tackiness to the fingers. But I, I just think ultimately, in Wainwright's case, it's not something that is still presently of interest like you heard him say, hopefully the truth will set him free because he doesn't think that there's any reason for recourse based on something that happened a couple of years ago. Again, before MLB really tried to even begin to pretend they were going to crack down on this stuff. Now they are. You'll see, I think, some interesting fallout from that moving forward. Whether there's anything to do with the Cardinals, you know, Mike Schultz just better hope not because he did take a pretty impassioned stands there but he was asked to tonight and, and basically said look since the joe west incident there have been more balls in play more hits and fewer strikeouts across the game and then he kind of shrugged and basically when asked about whether that could be a coincidence he said he doesn't believe in them and i got a nice little screenshot of mike schilt doing that shrug 
that I passed along to Katie Wu because she's been compiling the, the official Cardinals meme collection this year. And I've had some contributions to it. I had a Goldschmidt, this Mike Schilt one. I think there's one other one, too, that was pretty good. I can't remember which player it was. But I've seen the Goldschmidt one being used across Twitter. I think my buddy Graham used that tonight. But anyway, definitely interesting to hear Wainwright at least be pretty upfront about it and, and talk about even what was in the concoction and said, you know, it is it is kind of strange that MLB tried to make an example of this one guy when much more high-tech and sophisticated versions of the, the cheating has gone on since, and it's not until now that they're really planning to do anything about it. I'll be interested to see if there are guys that still try to sneak stuff because basically, um, you want to be the guinea pig for it. Okay, you you be labeled as a cheater, but it's kind of like everybody pretty much can tell who's doing it. Corbin Burns goes from high RPMs and then loses a bunch off of some of his pitches in his next outing after the crackdown begins. You can kind of guess there was probably something going on there. Like, I would say it's the majority of pitchers are doing something. Even if it's just sunscreen, rosin, whatever, a little pine tar here and there. It, they're all doing something, and so you can look at the RPMs. The stat gas data is out there, and it, it's not hard to to figure. But if you're a guy who is like, man, I pitch really well with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep trying to do this under the radar and see what happens. And you know, your the team might even sanction it. You know, if you've got a guy that say, yeah, I've I've been doing this and it's been really working well, and the team's like, all right, well, if you get caught, we'll restructure the rotation so you only have to miss like a start. You still get paid, be suspended for 10 games. That's not so bad. Let's risk it. I'll just be interested to see if there's actually anybody that gets caught doing anything after the crackdown has already been enforced. So we'll see what that looks like. But definitely interesting times in baseball. I think it would be for the better if they can get rid of some of the, the ultra-high-tech ways of cheating and, and increasing spin. I, we don't need the, the strikeouts. From a fan perspective, we don't need to see all the strikeouts that we've been seeing and the no hitters and you know, no hitters are great, but if it's at the expense of balls in play and more action for the game, I don't really prefer it. And so if this is a simple way to be able to alleviate some of that and bring some of the action back to the game, I think that's great. And I'll be in favor of, of that happening. Obviously the one thing I'll say though, is if their plan is to really crack down on rosin and sunscreen, like Mike Schilt said they were doing to Gallegos, like, if that's really what you want to do, let's start rounding them up because you're going to be finding everybody in baseball doing it and probably not just the pitchers. That You know, that's that's one thing, but is that really effective? Is, is that really what you the, the road you want to go down? Because nobody's complaining about pitchers doing things to grip the baseball more effectively to make sure they aren't, that, you know, the Cardinals have already hit plenty of guys with pitches this year. I don't know if that's an indictment to say, oh, they're not cheating because they can't they can't hang on to the baseball anyway and it continues to get away from them. Hasn't happened as much recently, but they I, I still assume they're lead, leading the league with the most hit batters. That's a, a safety issue at a certain point, and so I don't think that nobody from the, the pitchers to the hitters to anybody involved wants to see them MLB crack down and say, no, you can't have any sort of grip enhancer because I think that could end up being a, a problem for player health and player safety. However, to me, it should be really easy to distinguish between the lab grade stuff that they're, they're coming out with nowadays, spider tack, etc., and pretty common ways of doing it. But based on what I saw from the Jeff Passan 
report tonight, baseball made me look into just kind of have a blanket rule where you can't do any of it. So I'll be really interested to see how that ends up playing out. And hopefully it doesn't play out for the, the, the worst when it comes to player safety. But we'll have to we'll have to wait and see what MLB decides to actually enforce on this issue as time goes along. That's going to wrap it up, though, for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening to the show. Make sure to subscribe. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts are the main hubs to find us. But you can find us lots of other places as well. Head on over to anchor.fm slash bshafer12. Click on more platforms to look at the entire list of locations for the podcast. Thank you guys once again. Hopefully my internet situation gets solved on Tuesday when the Spectrum guy comes and hopefully does the magic thing that makes it work. And we'll have a lot easier time with podcasts the rest of the week. But one way or another, I'll get it out after Tuesday's game. Appreciate you guys, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily.